What's going on, y'all? Welcome to Help Students Win, where we talk about all things education. My name is Jordan Davis. I'm a professional speaker, founder of JD Speaks, and your podcast host. And today we're going to talk about grad school. I feel like this is the perfect time to talk about the importance of graduate school and whether grad school is really worth it. I'm going to talk a little bit about PhD programs, uh, a little bit about master's degree programs and kind of do some comparison between those two. And this is supposed to be both uh, analysis of the effectiveness and also the return on investment in today's master's and PhD programs, but then also sharing a lot about my story and kind of diving into my own experience pursuing a master's degree at Georgetown University. For anybody who's applying to grad school, you know that now is really the sweet spot for submitting applications. A lot of programs have their applications due in February and March. And so if you're still working on your application, nine times out of 10, you still have time. And there's so many different programs out there from in-person programs to part-time, full-time, talk about online programs, uh, certificate programs, so many different ways that you can approach your education post-graduation. I'm going to talk about all that today. Uh, if you're watching the video, thank you for watching on YouTube. You can see I got the dramatic lighting today. This is a little bit different from the last video setup that I had. And drop down in the comments below whether you're feeling this light. Got the little dramatic panel coming in on an angle. Uh, and I've got my glasses on today. Uh, when I was at McDaniel, I took an acting class. It gave me some really cool insights about the importance of eye contact in performance and your audience being able to see your eyes. And so uh, I used to wear my glasses much more often than I do now, admittedly. And I would go to acting class and my acting professor said, Jordan, I want you to take your glasses off. And I was like, why is that? Like, is everything good? And he's like, no, like when you take your glasses off, your audience is able to see your facial expressions a little bit better. They can more easily resonate with your emotions and what you have to say because they can see your facial expressions if you don't have something extra on your face. And so if it wasn't adding to my actual character, he actually asked me to take my my glasses off. And so this is a little tidbit for you all. I use that uh, kind of framing for my speaking engagements too. Usually when I speak, I don't speak with my glasses on. So uh, trying a bunch of different things today uh, and I wanna dive right into the conversation because I know we got a lot to cover. And so when it comes to asking the question, is grad school actually worth it? I took some data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics to share with you all today. And so when you look at uh, a four-year bachelor's degree versus a master's degree versus a Ph.D., those are really the three degrees that I like to to think about when when assessing post-graduation education. Obviously, you have associate's degree, you have some folks that don't complete college, but I really looked at those three degrees and trying to determine, okay, is the jump from bachelor's degree to master's degree actually worth it? Is the jump from master's degree to PhD actually worth it? And so we find in the, in the data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics that there's a 68% median salary increase from having a high school diploma to earning a bachelor's degree in the U.S. And so the difference, the mean difference in salary between someone who has a high school diploma in the U.S. and someone who has a bachelor's degree is a 68% difference. Now, when you jump from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree, your mean salary only increases by 16%. 
right? So we're talking about people who are in the middle of their careers, who have this average salary within their particular field of study. Uh, the average across all, you know, academic and professional fields is 16%, right? And so that's a much smaller jump from bachelor's degree to master's degree. Now, when we talk about the jump in salary from master's degree to PhD, that is a 25% increase. And so if you're tracking me, if you're following me, there's a 68% increase from, from high school diploma to bachelor's. There's a 16% increase from bachelor's to master's. And there's a 25% increase from master's to PhD. And this was actually really surprising to me because as I navigated undergrad, I've, I feel like I was told by some of my career advisors. I had even read some information myself as I was thinking about graduate school about how the jump between master's to PhD isn't that big. And I find I find it hard to believe actually that the jump between master's to PhD is larger than the jump from bachelor's to master's. But I think this data can actually communicate what's happening. And so really what it's trying to tell us is that the salary increases for people who just have a bachelor's degree is outpacing the salary increases of those who are in entering entry-level positions who have master's degrees. The, the earning potential that you have with a bachelor's degree has increased at a faster rate than the earning potential of folks who have a master's degree. And I think it's also indicative of how a lot of employers are thinking differently about job skills and the credentials that people actually need to be successful in their jobs. And so, especially after COVID, where there was a lot of job turnover for employers and people sought out different ways of making money and picked up side hustles and realized the amount of options, the amount of professional options that they had, uh, employers really had to be innovative and creative and kind of think outside the box as far as, okay, am I really giving the, the maximum amount of value to potential employees who would want to work for me. You're like, how do we stay current? How do we stay relevant? And how do we stay attractive to talented employers? And I think one of the the ways is looking at employers from uh, looking at employees from all different backgrounds, looking at applicants who display the skills but might not have the credential. So that's a little bit of the data. Uh, but obviously this greatly depends on what field you're in, right? And so that was just the average uh, that was the average differences in salary across all professional fields. But when you look at certain fields, um, there are much larger jumps from bachelor's degree to master's degree. Again, in the Census Bureau data that was that wasn't aggregated. This was aggregated data um, that was only a 16 percent increase from bachelor's to master's. But when we look at uh, the law profession, for example, um, with data from NACE, so the National Association of Colleges and Employers, law school grads make 73% more uh, than political science majors, right? So that bachelor's degree, that jump from bachelor's degree to master's degree is really big and really important for law students. The same can be said for communications technology students, where there is a 65% jump from bachelor's degree students who are in communications technology fields and master's degree students who are in communications and technology fields. And honestly, today, it also depends on, again, what field you're in. And so when we compare professionals across different fields, uh, today, the 25, there's a 25-year-old computer science 
professional somewhere that's making more than a 45 year old historian at a university. Right. And so doing that kind of calculus, too, when it comes to, you know, what is expected in your particular field is something to consider when we talk about the financial return on investment of graduate school degrees or graduate level degrees. And I guess another thing, too, that's important for us to consider if you are a working professional already or if you're a senior in college, right, thinking about grad school, wherever you are on the spectrum, as you think about it and you consider it is also the the opportunity cost of taking the time to go to grad school. There are a lot of people who do part-time graduate programs, whether it's a master's or a PhD, there are part-time master's degree programs and part-time PhD programs. A lot of people do them full-time too. Um, and so when you talk about a full-time PhD, that can take you five years. A full-time master's degree, that can take you anywhere between one to three years, uh, depending on the size of the program and how many credits you're taking. If you do a part-time PhD, that could take you eight years. You do a part-time master's, that could take you anywhere between three to five. And so not only does it cost to pay for the programs, which we're not going to get into today, um, it costs to pay for the programs, but it also costs you of your time and the wages that you wouldn't earn as a result of pursuing your degree. There are people who take pay cuts going from making $80,000 before a graduate level degree or professional level degree and go down to 20000 go to thirty. Some aren't able to work at all. Um, and so, again, doing that calculus, too. And this is definitely uh, a conversation that is it has like a lot of U.S. themes to it. Right. I know we're not the only country in the world that has exorbitant costs for going to graduate school, but there are many countries around the world where students don't have to pay to uh, pursue their master's degree or to pursue their Ph.D. And so uh, this is just something for us to consider as we as we think about that. But does pursuing a master's degree make you happy? I want us to really think about that. Does pursuing a master's degree make you happy? Because we just talked about the potential economic benefits of it. We talked about the economics of it, but we didn't really talk about whether people are actually happy. And there are so many different articles and there are a few research studies that I found, but there's not a whole lot of research on the happiness aspects of pursuing a master's degree. Um, and there is this report called the World Happiness Report that is conducted by, hold on, let me click the link, let me see, let me see who conducts the World Happiness Report. So this will be coming out of the Earth Institute at Columbia University, and there's this World Happiness Report that's conducted every year, and it was found in that report that essentially people who pursue master's degrees and PhDs are happier than those who don't for those, you know, compared to those who don't decide to pursue those higher level degrees. And there are a lot of different theories and ways that you could chalk that up to. A lot of people believe that it can lead to increased job satisfaction because you're more specific and you, at least you know the credential that you need in order to pursue the career field that you really want to pursue. Right. And so when you pursue a Ph.D. as an academic, you're going into a field and you're doing the research. Hypothetically, you're doing the research that you want to do. Um, and then it can also lead to better financial security, obviously. And we know that uh, money can't buy happiness, but it can alleviate some of the stress that makes room for happiness. And so that's something to consider as well with that extra degree 
your earnings do increase. And as a result, you're able to provide yourself a level, a level of financial security that can lead to more happiness later down the line. But also the interesting thing that one of the articles picked up on that I read for this was it can increase social capital. So earning a master's degree has psychological benefits that can be potentially powerful for those who earn it. And when you have a master's degree, you feel like you're doing more important work. You feel like you're doing work that aligns with the, acad the academics that you've pursued. You feel like you're important in society, uh, which I think in a lot of cases is connected to your salary, right? You had that increased salary. You feel a sense of importance. And this is specifically in individualist contexts and a lot of capitalist contexts like in the U.S. where more collectivist cultures um, or even cultures where poverty is more evenly distributed and poverty is more common within communities, uh, we really don't see those same effects. And so that is sort of the psychological impacts of earning a master's degree. So let's get into some of the experiential stories behind a master's degree that I wanted to touch on today that I think might be helpful for some folks. Um, in my experience, I found it very hard to find scholarships for graduate school. Now, and talking about graduate school a lot and exploring a lot of different financial options, I realized that uh, there are a few options out there. So you can teach a class on the side while you're in a master's or PhD program. And usually you get a stipend for that. You might even get a scholarship for that kind of work. Uh, you can work at a particular center or organization that's connected to your master's degree. And so for me at Georgetown, uh, I started my master's degree program as a graduate associate at our Center for Teaching and Learning. And that was a great experience for me. It also allowed me to, to earn a scholarship and then get paid for the work that I did. And I worked about 20 hours a week. Right. And so that's one of the ways that a lot of people end up paying for their master's degrees. Uh, if you are an amazing student, uh, you can end up getting a full ride, too. Um, and there are several programs around the country who offer a very select, um, a less, select few amount of full scholarships in order to attend graduate school. And so it's just something else to consider as well. Obviously, if you pursue a, an online program, there are a lot of different payment methods and a lot of different discounts that you can earn from those types of programs. Um, there are free courses that you can take through edX, through Google. Um, there are even some courses that you could take through LinkedIn Learning, uh, some of them paid, and then I think some of them uh, are free as well. And so again, just explore your options as far as what you want to learn and the skills that you want to develop. Um, yeah, so let me see, full-time and part-time. Yes, so full-time graduate school and part-time graduate school, they each had their pros and cons. And I really want to lay this out for some folks because I've done both. And so I started my master's degree program in learning design and technology at Georgetown University in the fall semester of 2021. And I started as a full-time student. This is my first time living away from home, but not on a college campus. And I had a roommate, I was paying rent, I wasn't making a lot of money though. Um, I was working as a graduate associate for 20 hours a week and I had to develop multiple side hustles along with that. 
Uh, but I would say being a full-time student, I was on campus more often. I was able to build a sense of community. It was an in-person program. So I benefited from seeing my classmates in person and being able to go to dinner afterwards and hearing about different events or even just stumbling upon different events that were going on around campus because I had, had to be there for class. Uh, it allowed me to connect more with my coworkers and my colleagues at at the Center for New Designs and Learning and Scholarship because the way that my program is situated, our classroom and where we take classes is essentially in the same building. It's very connected to the center that I worked at. And so there was always that level of intentional connection and collaboration. And a lot of the classmates that I had were my colleagues that I worked alongside in my graduate associateship. And so that's kind of what it's like to be a, a full-time student. It really allows you to be immersed in the educational experience, but there were so many financial hardships and inconveniences along the way that were not at all connected to my academics, but absolutely had an impact on how I showed up in the classroom and even just my mental and physical health, quite frankly, um, and just kind of the social life that I had at the time. And so, and even being a part-time student, has its pros and cons as well and so I'm a part-time student now this is my first time being a part-time student this semester at Georgetown and this was one of the hardest periods of my life period just you know straight up and I learned a lot from working part-time I mean I learned a lot from working full-time and going to school part-time and I took two classes and I lived even further away because uh, my beautiful girlfriend, Lauren, she started law school. And so there were unique challenges that I faced that were different from the challenges that I faced when I was a full-time student where I had more financial security. Um, finances were less of a thing for me to worry about, but my time was something that I really had to consider, you know, taking an hour commute into campus, um, you know, trying to find time after working eight hours during the day, after cooking, after going to the gym, after recording a podcast and running my business, trying to find time to do homework and to do group work where that kind of time came more easily when I was a full-time student, because that was the main thing that I was dedicated to. And so that kind of calculus as well, once you actually get into your program, is something to consider. But I want to uh, now turn to kind of the, the decision-making process around a graduate degree and whether you should even pursue one. You might be like, Jordan, I'm about to graduate in the spring and I still don't know what I want to do after graduation. I've got like six different things that I could possibly do. I could go in this career field. I could take a one-year leave of absence. I can, you know, travel the world for a couple of months. I could move back home and try to start my business. I can, there are so many different things that I could do. Um, and I'm having trouble figuring that out. And I was, I had a level of intentionality about my master's degree journey and luckily I had those conversations really early so I was having conversations about graduate school when I was a junior at McDaniel College my undergraduate institution and really it was my advisor who inspired me to pursue a, a master's degree and having conversations with him and realizing that I was a communication major but 
and I'd gotten rejected by all of these communications internships. I was applying for internships at NBC Universal and ESPN and all of these like major media companies, Viacom, uh, CBS and Fox Sports. And I'd, I thought I was going to go into to sports communication because I love talking. Um, I love communicating and I love uh, media. You know, I love film and I love uh, sports as well. And so I thought that was kind of the road that I was going to go down. Um, and then I realized as I continue to speak to students that really it was my love for education that I needed to pursue more fully. And I was interested in exploring how I could use my communication skills to better our classrooms and to better our educational experiences and systems. And so that kind of led me to intentionally, like I would literally Google master's degree in communication and education. And there were some programs that had that shared name. Uh, and that's kind of what my starting point was because I was a communication major at the time. My advisor had his PhD in instructional communication from the University of Kentucky. And so that's really where the conversation started uh, for me. And you might be asking, should I pursue a master's degree? Jordan, let's get to it. Help me out with this decision. Should I pursue a master's degree? I would always say when it comes to pursuing a master's degree, to start with the skills that are needed to solve the problem that you want to solve. And so when you look at your ideal career, identify the rooms that you want to get in and the skills that you want to utilize once you get into those rooms and think about whether you already have those skills or whether you need to develop them, whether you need to earn them. If you already have the skills, then maybe you don't need a master's degree to land in that spot. Maybe you don't need a master's degree to land in that particular career field. And I'm a big fan of designing uh, of backward design. So starting with the end goal and saying, okay, is there a precedent for people doing this job that don't have uh, a PhD? And that's literally one of the first questions that I asked my advisor is, I want to become a college professor. Like I, I think I would be an excellent teacher. I have a lot of speaking experience. I have a love for education. And I think I could be a great college professor. Is there a precedent for college professors that are teaching full time at colleges and universities that don't have a PhD. And the answer that I got was yes, kind of, but not really. Really just depends on the field that you're in. And so obviously if you're a professor in a law program, you're not gonna have a PhD, you're most likely gonna have a law degree. If you're teaching full-time in a business program and you are an associate professor, nine times out of 10, you've had a long career in business, or you can even have a short career in business too. I guess it doesn't really matter on the length, but you could be in business and have uh, an MBA and not necessarily have a PhD. And I realized really quickly, like I realized quickly that to teach at the college level, you don't need a teaching certification. Uh, there are some colleges that have centers for teaching and learning like Georgetown, where there's support for you to improve your teaching as you're a professor. But in order to become a professor, you don't necessarily have to have uh, a teaching certificate or a teaching degree. A lot of professors have some sort of teaching experience, and that definitely helps you uh, when it comes to applying for those assistant and associate professor positions, but it's definitely not a, a requirement for those positions. As we know in higher ed, so much of tenure, so much of progression, so much of the professional progression 
of folks who are in higher education has to do with the research that you produce, how often you research, how often you produce articles, how many times those articles are cited and what kind of research you're doing and how that kind of fits within the research scope of the university that you're currently operating in. And so considering all those things, I, I realized that uh, I needed to get more specific about what my professional goals were. And when I really started to think about it, I said, okay, I can really impact classrooms and the way that education is taught. Because after several years of talking with students as a young entrepreneur and as a undergraduate student at McDaniel, I started to learn about the challenges that students were facing. Uh, for a long time, I thought that students weren't successful because they were unmotivated uh, and because they needed motivation from me, <laughs> quite frankly. But I, I realized really quickly that uh, our students deserve a lot and they need a lot more. And what role can both our educators and our institutions play in providing that level of support uh, for students to become successful and thriving adults. And so that was the lens that I took. And again, using my communication skills and public speaking and intercultural communication and uh, in graphic design and kind of experiential design as well. How can I use all those skills to improve education? And so, yeah, so starting with the skills, if you're thinking about pursuing a master's degree, ask yourself, do I need the degree to enter the room and do good work? And if you don't, and if you do the research and you might find somebody on LinkedIn that's doing some really cool work in a position that you thought required a PhD, but after looking at their educational experience, you realize that they have a master's degree or that they have 10 years of experience in this field and they were able to navigate to another field. And so conducting those informational interviews too is uh, it's really important, and I find that it could be potentially something that's difficult for a lot of uh, adults that might not be in, not that might not be encountering the same messages and level of support that undergraduate students have when it comes to making uh, professional connections. And so, reworking that muscle of making professional connections and just reaching out to people who might be willing to talk to you about their career navigation or what they've experienced. Uh, can be really helpful. And that's one of the things that I did too, as I was applying to all of these internships at Google and ESPN and all the, the media organizations, I conducted informational interviews with people in the field to see what, uh, you know, to see what their career path was like in landing in the positions that I was most interested in. And so when it comes to considering a master's degree, I really challenge folks to focus on the three C's and that's curriculum, culture, and connections. Again, when you're considering whether to apply for a bachelor's degree program or not, we need to consider curriculum, culture, and connections. When it comes to curriculum, there can be two programs at two different universities that have the exact same name, but completely different course offerings. And so being able to do the research to say, okay, these are the skills that I would need to be a learning designer. And here are the classes that are helpful for me that I haven't taken yet in undergrad that would allow me to build those skills. Once you have that list of the things that you might need, literally going side by side and aligning your list of desired classes, skills, experiences, 
It could be particular internships or apprenticeship opportunities that a particular graduate program is offering and aligning that with what you see in the graduate programs that you that you look at as, as a great place to start. And once you get into the curriculum, maybe even reach out to one of the professors who are teaching the courses to learn more about it. Uh, because at the end of the day, when you apply, they might remember your name as it comes across the application, or they might have a colleague that's reviewing applications for the particular program. Uh, this is especially too true for smaller master's degree programs. And I belong to one of them. There's only about, uh, I'd say 40, 50 students, if that, in my master's degree program. And so that's especially a smaller program where your name might travel or your name might stick with somebody if you take the initiative to reach out to make that phone call just to learn a little bit more about the curriculum that's offered and the experience of the, of the students that are in the program. The second thing is culture. And so you could have two different programs at the same university that are sort of similar, but they have completely different vibes and cultures to them. And one of the ways to learn more about the culture of the classes is to talk to the students and to have like real conversations with the students because we might be interested in a graduate level program and we join a webinar where students are talking and they're on a panel. So there's multiple students and there might be a professor or two there. That's you might get some answers to your questions, but you don't get like the real answers, like the real answers about workload, about uh, the the community building or lack thereof that is built into the experiences of the students in the program. You get a sense of the teaching, like the quality of the teaching. Is it inclusive? Is it accessible? Is it flexible? Uh, are they understanding of students in the different backgrounds that they come from and the different um, professional arrangements that they have and making accommodations for those types of things? Is it actually engaging? Is it project-based or is it just a one big paper at the end? Uh, and how much does that matter to you as a student, right? And so being able to connect with students who are currently in the program to learn about the culture uh, is really important too. And then lastly, connections. Looking at the alum of these particular graduate programs and saying, okay, what kind of work are they doing? Is there anybody that's done the work that I'm trying to do that's been through this program or at least these types of Because you might be a trailblazer. Uh, I don't know a lot of students who graduated from my program that are in full-time entrepreneurship, but that's absolutely something that uh, I could see in my future. And so there might not be a precedent for it, but if there are opportunities to take classes in uh, instructional design, which I could use for my business in JD Speaks and that I currently do use in my business at JD Speaks. Um, if there are courses in educational leadership, if I ever want to jump into a leadership position, um, within education, right? Like having those questions in mind as you pour through these websites and look at these programs uh, and thinking about uh, the connections that you can make with alum that might have similar interest to you is something that could really help you out in your, in your search process too. Another tip for considering graduate school is to not be intimidated by the name of the school. Y'all, I'm a first-generation college student. I graduated high school with a 2.6 GPA, and I went to McDaniel because I wanted to play football, and they were one of the few schools that accepted me. Uh, and now I'm at Georgetown University, you know, a top 30 university in the world. And so don't be, intimida don't be intimidated 
by the name of the university. And I say that because some undergraduate students who are newer to this process equate the selectivity of the undergraduate programs at a university to the selectivity of the graduate programs. And usually those two things are not connected at all. They're usually completely different. I think the acceptance rate at Georgetown University hovers anywhere between 9 to 11% year to year. And the selectivity of my program is about 50%, right? And so uh, it's a completely different environment. They look for different things in students. And so what Georgetown undergrad big university is looking for in their undergraduate students is going to be different from what uh, Georgetown's learning design and technology program is looking for for students. And I promise this is not an ad. Like y'all are getting a lot of exposure uh, from LDT and I love the program. Uh, but I just wanted to really share my experience and, and be able to say that don't be intimidated by the name, really own the skills, experiences, and more importantly, the clarity and the vision that you have. I had only taken one education class as a communication major at McDaniel, but it was my storytelling and it was my vision for how I saw myself contributing to the field of education and technology that got me in to the school. I had a really strong purpose statement. I got great feedback on my purpose statement. And it's not because I had um, a, a fantastic GPA. I had a strong GPA, but it wasn't fantastic. It's not because I did some big education internship at an education technology company and took that route. I didn't have any of those experiences. I had taken one class and I had done a lot of speaking engagements. I had my own business. So that served as an asset for me to talk about. But at the end of the day, I was not the the person on paper that you would imagine uh, would pursue a degree like I'm pursuing now. So I just want to give somebody that level of confidence in themselves to be like, nah, you got the skills. Like you have the passion for it. Uh, you have the vision for it. And the clearer that you get in your professional goals, the more clear that vision is to whoever's looking at your application. Another thing that's helpful for uh, students who are considering graduate school is to write your purpose statement before you even apply to graduate school. Like write your purpose statement before you even look at any graduate schools. And obviously your purpose statement is going to be a little bit different from school to school. But when you're planning out your graduate school applications, it's important to know your career goals. It's important to know why you have those career goals. And then it's important to learn what certificates, what credentials are going to lead you to fully pursue those goals. So being very clear about your intent, your motivation behind the intent, and then the vehicle, what's going to get you there. And really outlining those three things. So you can literally go into a Google Doc or a Word Doc and say, okay, here are my academic interests. And then just list it bullet by bullet, maybe add a sentence or two about each one. Then go into your purpose, really, which is like the, the heart of your purpose statement. Why? Why do you have those interests? Why do you feel compelled? What experiences have you had both in undergrad and prior that have given you this lens? What professional experiences do you have that you feel like you can expand on, um, you know, through these different interests and through your career goals? And then lastly, um, you know, learning what's going to help you get there. Why do you think this master's degree is going to help you land into the rooms that you want to get into? 
And so doing a little bit of that work before you even look, because you're going to see so many programs all over the world, all over the country, all over your state with so many different names, with different program types. And so being more focused with the programs that have what you want is vital in having a successful and not stressful um, graduate school search experience. I want to share a story with you too. And I think this is something that is really underrated when it comes to considering uh, graduate school or whether, whether to pursue a master's or a PhD. One thing that's really going to help you in your graduate school search and application process is to talk to your weak ties. So not just having conversations with your friends, not just having conversations with your family members, you know, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, but having conversations with your weak ties. So your classmate that you have a pretty decent relationship with, but you wouldn't call them a close friend necessarily, or having conversations with your academic advisor who you might only talk to once uh, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, once every four weeks. Again, these weak ties are so important because they understand you and they understand the goals that you have, but they themselves aren't connected to you so strongly in a way that's going to skew or influence the advice that they give you. So they are going to be able to connect what they know about the field, what they know about the problems that you want to solve and what they know about you and be able to connect those things and give a more balanced, nuanced and non-biased opinion than those who, you know, you might might be your best friend or your mom. Um, and I say this because so often we do confide in our friends and our family members to make these important decisions. And it is absolutely necessary to do that. But in addition, it's important to give to gain perspective from people who are just a little bit more far removed from us. And again, who know us on an academic and professional level, but might not know us as deeply in a personal respect. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I had many conversations with my academic advisor at McDaniel and we were talking about graduate school programs and instructional uh, communication because that's around March, uh, February, March of that year. I was set on instructional communication. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And Dr. Uh, the professor at McDaniel, who was my academic advisor, he said, you know, I graduated from the University of Kentucky and they have one of the best instructional communication programs in the country. You should consider them. Obviously, he's a former Wildcat. Opinion is a little biased. But when I would talk to him about Kentucky and about how I was going to apply, um, he noticed that I wasn't as excited in talking about Kentucky as I was the other school on my list. And as an undergrad student, I'm trying to be excited about everything. Like, all of this is new to me. I'm just trying to get into uh, a degree program that's going to get me the professional experiences that I want. And that's going to lead me to a good job. Uh, but he he identified he was able to see that. I was thrown off by the conversations we had about Kentucky because he whispered to me one day, he was like, you don't really want to go to Kentucky, do you? I said, 
nah, not really, <laughs> not really. So he was able to pick up on that because he knew me from the numerous conversations that we've had, but he's not someone that I talk to every day. So his, his, his opinion and his viewpoints and the advice that he was giving me was not clouded in our personal connection on the matter. It was more from um, a mentorship perspective. And so really leaning on your professors, your academic advisors, your career advisors at your institution. If you're working a, a job and you're outside of higher education right now, um, an advisor that you trust, a supervisor that you trust at your job, or maybe it's a colleague that works in another department that might also be thinking about pursuing a master's degree, like gaining those level of insights on from those weak ties is something that could be really helpful. And I ended up not applying to the University of Kentucky because I was like, eh, if I get accepted, I don't really want to live in Kentucky like that. Shout out to Kentucky. I love Kentucky, uh, but that's not really where I wanted to spend the next two to three years of my life necessarily. And so considering all these and, you know, all of these different factors into your master's and PhD search, it's a lot. It's a lot to consider. Um, and because it's a lot, it's important to be specific. And so when I looked at graduate programs, I started with a list of 20 programs. Whenever I would find a new program, I was like, oh, I like that. I wouldn't make it number 21. I would make it number whatever. And I would take a school off of the list that I already had. And I wanted to hold myself to 20 as I was in my search process, because that's the search process, which was around April, May of my junior year, because in the fall of my senior year, I wanted to be on top of my applications. I wanted to apply as soon as possible so that I had access to the scholarships and the graduate assistantship opportunities. And so when I did that, I had my list of 20 then after I had my list of 20, I would narrow it down to 10. And then a month later, I would narrow it down to five. Um, and then I applied to my five first. And if I needed some programs to fall back on, I would go back to that six, seven, and eight. And so being really specific, I think I I think I applied to six, maybe seven graduate programs in total. And I applied early, which helped me because when you apply earlier, there's less of a pressure to submit more applications once you start getting accepted by places. Uh, once you start to see what kind of financial aid packages you're you're being offered around January and February, you could be a little bit more strategic about how you spend your time in your search instead of waiting until January or February to submit things. And now you've got to submit 30 applications because you don't know what's going to come back. Um, and so that's a good general rule to have too, was to try to do it uh, several months in advance of the, you know, of the year or the cycle that you'll be applying to and just being really on top of things in that way too. So starting with that list of 20, creating cheat sheets for each graduate school. So for the 10 schools, once, once I narrowed my list down to 10, I created a cheat sheet for every school, uh, which had the total tuition cost, the cost of living, it had the specific location and had the apartment situation, whether they offered on-campus housing for full-time graduate students or not. It had the the total enrollment of the university. It had the total enrollment of the students in the program. And so at a glance, 
I could see all of the key information when it comes to uh, the university itself, the information that I need to know about each university. And I will refer to these. They had their own folders and I'll refer to these cheat sheets all the time. And there was a certain point in my process where I had one big cheat sheet that had this uh, some of the the key insights and the key information for all the universities that I was applying to. Um, and so I just gave a lot of information about grad school. Uh, we kind of started at why grad school? It doesn't make you happy. Is it going to allow you to earn more money? And then we went all the way to things that we can do to make sure that our graduate school applications are strong. And then somewhere in the middle, we touched on uh, whether it's even wise to go to grad school. Is it worth it? Uh, for you. And and really the answer to that main question is this will probably be the title of the podcast is the only person that can determine that is you. I will say that in my experience and in my master's degree program at Georgetown, it was absolutely uh, worth it. And I learned so much as a young professional. I started my, I had like my first grown up job. I had my, my first uh, big dog job uh at georgetown as a project coordinator and i would have not gotten that position i wouldn't have even known that it existed if it hadn't been for graduate school and it's been such a fulfilling and enriching experience uh you know within that position so far and i feel like i'm a better speaker i'm a better communicator um i can provide a level of support for both students uh, and educators that I wasn't able to, I didn't have the insights into what was actually happening in classrooms and how policies and leadership uh, and the decisions that were made at the leadership level impacted what happened in the classroom. I just didn't have that, that framing. And being able to go into a school, being able to go into a conference with 5,000 high school students and be able to relate to them on the student level, but then also being able to speak to educators about how we can solve some of the problems that are plaguing students today, uh, that is really what, that's really one of the main skills that I'm walking away with as a result of this program. And obviously the friends, the community, uh, that I was able to build. I guess another flip side of this too is that I've talked to several students um, and even working professionals at Georgetown and elsewhere that have said that uh, earning a PhD was one of the hardest things that they've ever done and not wearing a badge of honor because of that triumph, but really reflecting and saying, I experienced a lot of mental health challenges as a result of pursuing my PhD. I went through bouts of loneliness and anxiety and depression. Um, so this is not easy. Um, but I would say that in my experience, um, even having battled anxiety attacks, even having battled uh, loneliness, living by myself for a year and a half, that I am a better person, uh, I'm a better man, and I am a better professional as a result of earning my master's degree. And so with that, uh, I'll end the podcast right there. My name is Jordan Davis. Again, if you're a student, who's thinking about graduate school, feel free to follow me and shoot me a DM with any questions you have. And that would be JD Speaks on Instagram, JD Speaks on YouTube, um, Jordan H. Davis on LinkedIn, and then help students win on TikTok. And feel free to share this pod with anybody in your life that's thinking about grad school, even if it's your parents that are beating you down about going back to school to get that extra degree, uh, share it with them because I, I definitely want to add more voices to this conversation and 
Uh, I think there was a lot of value here and a lot of different points that people can kind of take with them and to to further for themselves. So uh, my name is Jordan Davis. Thank you so much for your time. uh, And I'll see you on the next episode.